0: Welcome to the third episode on the Power to the People theme study. This episode we're going to be having a little look at the origins of Parliament. We're going to be discussing Simon de Montfort, we're going to be discussing uh, Henry III, and we're going to be having a look at the provisions of Oxford. This one's quite long and complicated. There's an awful lot of detail which I'm going to skip over, really, in order to focus on the main ideas here. So this podcast in no way will replace the notes that you have in your book. This is more just an idea of bringing it all together, I think. So let's just do a quick little bit of recap here. What is a Parliament a Parliament is a legislative body. It is the place where laws are made. Now, in the Middle Ages, a Parliament is not that. A Parliament is uh, another word for a great councillor. It's the king's advisers that he summons together. It's uh, a leftover, really, uh, a vestigial remains of the 25 barons who were supposed to be keeping an eye on King John uh, to make sure that he abided by the terms of Magna Carta. In our country, currently, our Parliament consists of two Houses, the House of Commons and the House of Lords. The House of Lords is an advisory-appointed and hereditary body, whereas the House of Commons is elected. And the House of Commons is the most powerful of the two. In the medieval period, there are no Commons. There are only Lords. So how do we get from nothing to the commons being elected and making decisions. Well, let's row everything back to where we are. We're looking... Let's row everything back to where we are. We're looking at 1265. The king on the throne is Henry III. He was the nine-year-old son who inherited the throne after the death of his father, John, in 1216. He takes over full control in 1234 between 1216 and 1234 there's a series of advisers who run the actual country very much like father like son Henry's relationship with his barons is fractious to say the least why is it fractious well there's a number of reasons first off France Henry is determined to win back the land that John Lackland had lost in France he in order to do this makes close ties to various French families including marrying into one of them And he also starts to allow some Frenchmen into his parliament, his his council of advisers. All of this probably wouldn't be too much of a problem if it wasn't for the fact that wars are expensive. Therefore, in order to fund these wars, he's having to raise taxes. He also is not the greatest warrior in the world, so he does not go and fight these wars himself. Instead, he sends his closest friend to do it. His closest friend is Simon de Montfort, one of the original Norman invading families. The de Montforts have gradually lost power over the intervening years. Simon becomes Earl of Leicester in 1239. He sets out to restore his family's fortunes. And he does this very, very, very effectively by cozying up to the font of all power, which is the king. Henry III makes him steward, his closest advisor, and he also marries him off to his sister, Eleanor. So Simon de Montfort is massively, massively important. He's massively key to what goes on here. At the same time, you've got Simon on one side, and you've got Henry on the other. Now, Henry is attempting to gain these lands back, but he's also a deeply, deeply religious man. And he's very much beholden to the Pope. If the Pope asks him for something, he will give it, including money to help the Pope with his various wars in Europe. And also, when the Pope suggests that King Henry's brother would make a good Holy Roman Emperor, well, then Henry plows a great deal of money and influence into making that happen. And also, Henry, as head of the church in England, starts giving church positions to Italian priests, as suggested by the Pope. All of this added together gives the barons a very distinct impression of a man who values foreigners more than he values Englishmen. He's giving church positions to Italian priests, he's appointing Frenchmen to the Parliament, he's awarding castles to French people. This... Love of the alien is something that is really upsetting the English barons. Because every time Henry gives these powers, these treats, these things to somebody from another country, he is robbing an Englishman of his birthright. And it all comes to a head around 1254 henry needs money he's under threat of excommunication from the pope the pope wants money if he doesn't get it henry's going to be excommunicated henry does not want this to happen the barons are losing patience with the king's failed attempts to regain land in france because it's costing money and not getting them anywhere and simon de montfort is very upset with the king why is he upset with the king well Henry sent de Montfort to lead the wars in France. But de Montfort makes war the way that Englishmen have always made war, which is we take what we need and we burn the rest down. The problem is, what he's taking is he's taking from the French families that are allied with the king. He's treating sort of allies almost like defeated enemies. And when Henry is forced to choose a side and choose between Simon de Montfort and his French allies, he does not choose Simon de Montfort. And Simon is recalled from France in disgrace. This is a key issue, because now the barons have a spokesman, the barons have a leader, the barons have someone who is massively massively ambitious, and he speaks on their behalf. So, in 1258, seven of the barons, led by de Montfort, call a great council at Oxford. Now, normally, the king is the one who calls the great councils, but this time, the barons have called it. And there, they present the king with a list of demands. And these demands are known as the Provisions of Oxford. Now, the provisions of Oxford run to six pages. There are dozens and dozens of clauses in them. However, the key ones that we are interested in is this. First off, foreign, that is alien, members of the royal household are banished. So, the French hangers-on, the Italian priests, all of them. Only Englishmen, not aliens... Could hold castles. So, all of those key strategic castles, York, Scarborough, all of these ones that had been granted to Frenchmen, they can no longer hold them. They have to be gone. Each county would have a sheriff and taxes would be decided upon locally. So the king can't just raise all these extra taxes in order to funnel them to the Pope. The taxes will be decided locally, and they will be spread around locally depending on how people are able to pay. And perhaps most importantly of all, there would be a change to the Great Council. And this is the change. From now on, according to the provisions of Oxford, 15 barons would run the great council. These 15 would be elected by a further 24 men. Of the 24 electors, 12 of them will be appointed by the king and 12 will be appointed by the barons. So the king no longer has entire say over who is present on the great council. He cannot just bring people in because he knows they'll agree with him. Now the barons have representation on the council. But it goes even further, because this great council, half of which has been elected by the barons, can make decisions without the king's presence or approval. So if they want to pass a law, they simply do. Likewise, the king would not be allowed to make any decisions without the approval of the council. This is a colossal challenge to royal authority this is basically stripping the king of his ability to rule the country the king has no intention of abiding by this if he does this he's a king in name only he's no longer ruling and not all of the barons agree with this several of the barons are loyal to the king and they don't like this jumped up upstart de montfort who appears to be trying to position himself almost as an alternative king so this kicks off what can be described as the Second Barons' War. Both of the Barons' Wars are fought over the issue of royal authority, but the sides are slightly different. Now, there are a number of key dates and key things you have to get your head around in the period from 1258 to 1264. Some of the key ones are the Battle of Lewes and the Battle of Eversham. But just before we get there there's one other little thing you need to know about, which is, there is a Battle of Lewes in 1264. King Henry is captured and locked up as is his son, Prince Edward. And therefore, the Great Council is running the country. This is the moment where England is on the cusp of becoming a republic. They have more or less replaced their king with an elected council of barons. To be fair, elected almost entirely by the other barons, but still, it's no longer the king. When de Montfort is running the country, he reaffirms Magna Carta, and he reaffirms the provision of Oxford, with a slight change. A set of provisions are also produced from Westminster. They're exactly the same as the provisions of Oxford, except they mention for the first time the rights of the commons. They extend the rights of the provisions of Oxford and Magna Carta to people who are not landed gentry. In 1265, de Montfort holds a great council. And as well as inviting the barons, he also invites the burgesses and the knights from every county. This is key. Because for the first time, commoners, commons, have been invited to attend the Great Council. This is often regarded as the first parliament in 1265. It's the first time that the commons have been invited to take part in the decision-making process. And this is too much for some of the barons, because some of the barons see these commoners, these burgesses, these townsfolk, these merchants being treated almost as equals to them, and they will not tolerate it. So this turns a large number of the barons against de Montfort. And this leads into further conflict, as long as they have... A figurehead they need somebody to lead them these barons who are now rebelling against simon de montfort need someone to lead them and thankfully they have somebody which is prince edward also known as longshanks he promptly escapes from de montfort's captors on a daring horseback escape and leads the loyal barons against simon de montfort at the battle of eversham in 1265 Edward Longshanks, who will later become King Edward I, is nothing if not a good warrior, and he defeats de Montfort. De Montfort is killed, he's cut into pieces, his genitalia are cut off and nailed above his head, and the head is then presented as a trophy to somebody's wife, but the parts of him are sent around the country to be displayed. This is what happens to traitors. And it's all over. It's gone. This this little first parliament, this experiment at involving the commoners in the business of the kingdom is over and gone, and there's nothing to show for it. Well, not quite. You see, Henry III rules for another ten years or so. 1272 he dies, and he never again calls another meeting of the Great Council for fairly obvious reasons. But Edward becomes king. And the thing about Longshanks, Edward I, is that he's not just good at fighting, he's good at ruling as well. And he has learned from his father's mistakes, and he has learned from his grandfather's mistakes. He knows that he cannot bully the barons, because if he does, he's going to end up in exactly the same position as his father and his grandfather before them. And he needs money to fight his wars against the Scots and the Welsh. And again, he knows he cannot just extort money, otherwise he'll find himself in the same problems again. So, in 1295, he calls a parliament. It's called the Model Parliament. And the idea here is that Edward is going to get their agreement to give him the funds he needs to fight his wars. The lords are invited to attend, all the landowners and the barons, The commons are invited to attend as well. Knights and burgesses from all the shires. But they are elected. In 1295, elected commoners attend the king's parliament. And that is a direct response, a direct result of the first parliament that Simon de Montfort called in 1264. And it works. Longshanks gets their agreement and he's able to get the funding that he needs. Now, there's a couple of things to be aware about before you start getting the idea that the model parliament is exactly like our parliament today. Only the most powerful people who were there could vote. They could all speak and have their opinion done, but only the most powerful could make a decision. And also, the elections of the commoners were not secret. Now that's something that we're going to pick up again when we get to the 1800s later on. But for right now, just consider the fact that if the ballot is not secret, everybody knows how you vote it. It's very easy to bribe people. It's very easy to threaten people. But regardless, Simon de Montfort, in setting the pattern, and Edward Longshanks for following it up, have done something very different. They have changed royal authority for all time. They have shown that the power can be shared. They have shown that the king needs the agreement of not just the rich and the powerful, but all of the people in the land in order to be able to rule the country. It's almost the start of this concept of ruling by consent. So... There's a few things to pick up here. The provisions of Oxford and the provisions of Westminster, in terms of their impact, are fairly clear. It's, again, this idea of the sharing of authority, the idea that royal authority is no longer paramount, the idea that the king is less important, as it were, than the rest of the people in the kingdom, that he's a a servant, if you like. Long term, the invitation of the commoners to that parliament is key. That is the idea, the idea that everybody should have a say in the running of the country. That is one of the things that leads us to where we are today, and also creates this modern conception of what a parliament is. So should Simon de Montfort then be regarded as the father of parliament? There are universities named after him, there are statues to him, Does he deserve all that? Was he a reformer or was he just a chancer? That's interesting, isn't it? So, why was Simon de Montfort significant? Well, he won the Battle of Lewes. Without him, the Battle of Lewes would not have been won and the King would have remained on the throne and in charge. So, you wouldn't have had the provisions of Westminster and you wouldn't have had that first Parliament. He's the spokesman for the barons, he's the organising principle, he's the one who keeps them together. He's the one who invites the commons. He's the one who knows he has to reach out to the rest of the country because he doesn't have all the barons in his pocket. So in that sense, he's a very modern kind of politician. He's responsible for drafting up the provisions of Oxford and the provisions of Westminster. He's responsible for the creation of the Great Council, introducing this idea of elections into British politics. And he influenced Edward's model parliament... It's difficult to believe that Edward would have had that parliament that involved the knights and the burgesses elected to represent their shires and boroughs if it hadn't been for Simon de Montfort and his example. But on the flip side, before Simon de Montfort and after Simon de Montfort, the king's authority is exactly the same. The king is still in charge. So Simon de Montfort actually didn't change a great deal. Likewise, Edward's model parliament is much closer to modern ideas than Simon de Montfort's was. It's not until 1688 that parliament has more power than the king. So you can't say that Simon de Montfort is responsible for a massive change. And de Montfort's parliament in 1265 is basically just a collection of the people who support him. It's it's a purely political grouping it's not there to actually share ideas and decide it's just there to rub a stamp whatever he wants to say so is de Montfort important I'd say yes but not because of his impact again like Magna Carta the importance of Simon de Montfort is in the ideas that he raises the concepts that the commons should be involved that you reach outside of the traditional ruling class And I think he's important for the influence that he has over Edward's idea for the model parliament. In terms of which one, either the first parliament or the modern parliament, has the greatest impact longer term, that's a slightly different question. But you can't argue the fact that de Montfort introduces some new ideas about how the country should be run. So there's your second step. We've gone from the Magna Carta, which is the first uh, time anybody says that the king's power is not limitless, to Simon de Montfort and an attempt to wrest power entirely away from the king, which lasts for about a year. For about a year, Simon de Montfort is running the country. But then we're back to the king again. But there has been a shift. More people have more of a say in how the country is going to be run after Simon de Montfort. Now, the next thing we are going to have a look at is when the commons really, really start getting involved. The next thing we're going to look at is one of my particular favourite little bloodbaths in English history. The next episode is going to be all about the Peasants' Revolt. But that's for next time. For now, thank you very much for listening, and good luck in your exams.